The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Leslie Picker, Mike Santoli of Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer and Faber have the morning off. Pre-market does like the jobs number. 187,000 is above consensus, but June and July get revised lower by 110,000. Unemployment spikes to 3.8, highest in a year and a half. Wages are light. The 10-year yield drops to about 408. Our roadmap begins with that last jobs print ahead of the Fed's September meeting, showing some continued strength in the labor market despite rising rates. NEC Director Lael Brainerd is going to join us first uh, later on this hour. Meantime, retail's mixed picture. Lulu upping its guidance. Walmart at a record high. The dollar stores, meanwhile, trading at some multi-year lows. And then got some media tensions as well today. Disney and Charter in this heated distribution dispute, while Barry Diller calls Netflix the enemy when talking about uh, the strike. Let's kick off uh, reaction first, though, to the jobs number. Uh, Light wages, uh, Leslie, uh, average hourly earnings, lightest since June of 2021, better labor force participation, especially among the older crowd, 55 and up. Yeah, the market clearly likes what it sees, a, a very clear reaction to the print when it came out. Um, that 3.8, when was the last time we talked about uh, the unemployment rate. We haven't necessarily because it has been historically low for such a long time. And going into the print, economists were expecting it to be 3.5, 3.8. Huge uh, upside surprise here. And of course, Mike, um, you know, the, the key narrative this week and uh, in recent weeks has been bad news is good news. Yes. And the question I think remains, and you can see this from the reaction today, is how long that sentiment really carries through into equity. Yeah, we're in that comfortable zone where moderating activity uh, takes the edge off of bond yields, off of Fed expectations, doesn't yet really hit the core expectation that the economy had a decent amount of momentum coming into this period. I do think we have to explore where the border is uh, when bad news does not necessarily help the markets. But for now, I, I do think mostly because, especially coming into uh, the last week or so, everybody was focused on uh, things look too hot in terms of GDP in the current quarter. Ten-year Treasury yields, maybe they're going to break out of their range. They didn't, and they're in retreat. The two-year now below 4.8 as well. Um, so this is definitely bolstering the idea. Look, we're landing, okay? It's a question of how soft or hard. Uh, the, the numbers in terms of the last seven months of downward revisions to jobs reinforces the JOLTS message. Uh, somewhat moderating wage growth has been a very important piece of that because otherwise you're talking about wages too sticky even as job growth goes down. So we're okay for the moment. I think the, uh, the market has probably correctly said earnings estimates in the last six weeks, when we were last at 4,500 and change in the S&P in this level, uh, earnings estimates are up 3%. Ten-year Treasury yield up a bit, not a lot. Um, oil kind of made a run higher. Now it's still in the mid-80s. We're okay with that. So it, it sort of boils together as uh, we haven't had to really reprice assets in a, in a dramatic way based on the, 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 uh, the backdrop. Uh, so we're okay for now. I still think we haven't called off. The, the wait for further lagged effects, further weakness potentially 
And so I'm just alert to that narrative shift that could be coming. Yeah, it is curious. Uh, the Journal today uh, takes a, uh, actually echoes what Boston Fed wrote about earlier in the week, and that is takes five quarters for some of these things to really start hitting corporate balance sheets and 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 uh, and maturity walls. Um, you add NFIB jobs hard to fill, conference board labor differentials. Mike mentions jolts. Yeah. When do we start talking about harder landing? Today, B of A. Look yeah. at Mike Hartnett says you do want to sell the last rate hike, yes. and he points to some signs in retail and housing as signs that this might be uh, start looking more pernicious soon. Well, it's also September now. Today's September first, just to remind everybody, which means that you know we're looking at one month until the government runs out of funding. Uh, the resumption of student loan interest payments starts today, or uh, interest starts accruing today. The payments themselves don't start until October 1st. But nonetheless, it's going to change the way that consumers start thinking about what's going on in their own bank accounts. And then, of course, you've got the excess savings, which yeah. some economists and investors are predicting will start to really be completely drawn down uh, to zero and maybe go negative as soon as this month. So all of those factors are the lag effects that people have been waiting for. Now, whether or not today's numbers indicate that the economy is strong enough to you know, withstand, yeah. withstand some of these headwinds, I think I mean, is a big over, question. Well, over 150,000 jobs per month is fine if that's where it stays, or even if we moderate down from there, you don't have this massive pool of workers we're drawing from. Uh, it is really a question of trying to anticipate you know, the next potential turn, or if we have to absorb some kind of a shock. I don't think government shutdowns enough to be a shock like that. Uh, but right now, uh, and again, it's also a matter of, you know, what's my relevant time horizon investment-wise? Mm. If I sort of feel as if, look, this is enough of a, of a good backdrop for through the fourth quarter, and that's all I care about for my year because we've already been up 17% year to date in the S&P. September doesn't tend to be as bad when the market is up in this zone. The rest of the year has tended to actually have some follow through to the upside when you're here. You know, maybe we don't have to worry about that. We just push it off. I agree with Hardin in the sense of the last rate hike itself is not really bullish, but really it's the first, I mean, first cut. <laughs> the first cut is, and that's why I've always been arguing that the stock market is not rallying based on the hope of a rate cut. It's, it's rallying based on the Fed's nearly done. If the next move kind of doesn't matter that much, if it went too far, it already did. So let's not worry about what happens next. Uh, it's really about if they're forced to cut, it means that the, that the uh, economy is, right. is giving us something to worry and, about. And today, full pricing of the first cut moves to May from June. So we'll start yeah, to, right. we're just going to start to watch that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, for more on the markets, we're joined by Ed Yardeni, president of Yardeni Research. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you heard our earlier conversation, but we were talking about just the overall sustain, the sustainability of the bad news is good news dynamic. Curious to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think that it's interesting how emotions have shifted here in the market. Uh, last year and uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, there was widespread concerns about a hard landing. Uh, now it seems as though uh, most investors are rooting for a soft landing instead of a no landing at all. And so here we are. We're seeing uh, the soft landing that the market has been looking for, and the market's reacting exactly as was, uh, everyone anticipated it would. Uh, it's, it's rallying on the news that things are slowing down, which is good news. It takes the pressure off inflation and reduces the likelihood that the Fed is going to uh, be raising interest rates again. So, Ed, are you calling mission accomplished here? Do you think this is, uh, you know, we're out of the woods for any kind of yeah. hard landing, despite some of the headwinds we were just talking about? Well, as you know, that's a jinx. I don't want to jinx it. Uh, I, I guess, you know, 
since I don't matter that much, yeah, I think it's mission accomplished. I just don't want to hear anybody at the Fed saying mission accomplished, because that would definitely be a jinx. I, I like what, what Powell said. Powell said mission is not accomplished. Hey, Ed, you've written a lot about uh, why this is not the 70s. Uh, part of your thesis involves the percentage of the labor force uh, that's in a union, uh, which has obviously come way down, and, and it won't reinforce yep. that spiral effect of uh, COLAs meeting, say, rising energy prices. But uh, today, B of A does have a, a graph looking at labor on the rise as a percentage of U.S. GDP. And I wonder if you think that poses any threats to potential wage spirals. I, I don't think so. I think that uh, labor uh, is going to uh, get what it deserves, and historically that's related to productivity. Uh, we have, in fact, seen wages uh, rising faster than prices uh, this year. Uh, after basically for two years, uh, wages rising no faster than prices. We had uh, stagnant real wages. Now uh, real wages are increasing, and that can only happen sustainably if productivity is making a comeback, which is really my story. And so at the heart of my uh, so-called roaring 2020s thesis, that uh, from here on, as miserable as the first few years of the decade has been, uh, technologically driven uh, productivity is going to make a huge difference to economic growth, real wages, and profitability. Ed, am I remembering right that you were running with a 4,600 S&P 500 target and you didn't elect to lift it when we right. got toward that level at the highs? You had mm -hmm. a, a little bit of a shakeout. We're, we're you know, within hailing distance of, of 46 right. again. So uh, do you feel as if it's time to reassess or does that still feel like a fair value? Well, uh, rather than uh, change my year-end forecast, I'm start starting to talk about 5,400. Uh, by the end of next year. So what I'm communicating is I think it's still a bull market and that I really can't call exactly where it's going to be at, at year end. 4,600 still feels like the right number relative to a fairly optimistic outlook for earnings and uh, a valuation multiple that's uh, here uh, almost around uh, for, a forward PE of almost 20. And that's largely because of the mega cap eight, uh, which have a forward PE of around, around 30. So I'm, I'm going to leave it at 4,600. But I'm, I'm going to at the same time say this is uh, whatever happens by year end, it's still a bull market. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other question is, as we keep talking about characterizing what kind of landing uh, this might be, we were discussing what we were hoping from the Fed. You say you don't want mission accomplished. Of course, I always think back to 1995, which is the dream scenario everybody grabs for. Uh, and there was a cut. Uh, you know, the Fed kind of finished up the tightening cycle, got ahead of inflation, didn't have to chase right. it but did cut rates, and then it became kind of, you know, the Fed almost was out of the picture uh, in terms of the relevant dynamics for the stock market. Can we hope for something like that? I would love to stop talking about the Fed and start just talking about the underlying strength of the economy itself. Um, I, I think we're, we're basically seeing a normalization of interest rates. Uh, if you look at the bond market before the great financial crisis, 2003 to 2007, uh, the tip yield, the 10-year tip yield was around two, two and a half percent, and the inflation premium uh, within that uh, spread between the nominal and the real uh, bond yield was running around two, two and a half percent. So, I, I think we're back to four, four and a half percent is kind of where the the 10-year should be, and the stock market's saying that's fine, we can live with that. What about the correlation between bonds and stocks at this point? Uh, you know, we, we've seen kind of that 
oscillate over the course of the year. Do you think right. that will continue um, as the prospect for a pause and potentially a cut uh, as soon as mm -hmm. May, according to the market, uh, really comes into focus? Well, you know, when we got above four and a quarter percent a, f a couple of weeks ago, um, that four and a quarter percent on the 10 year was uh, the peak last year. So uh, everybody kind of got spooked that uh, we're going to go to four and a half, five percent in a heartbeat. Uh, but then we came down below four and a quarter percent. I think the fact that we haven't really shot up and that we're back below four and a quarter percent, I think, has helped the market uh, hold the 50-day moving average, basically. And now we're above it instead of below it. So the bonds are calling the shots for the stock market. And right now, the bonds are saying uh, it's clear, clear sailing for now, which is kind of interesting because everybody's fearing that September is a bad month historically. But it's not always a bad month, and it could be a good month. Yeah, you got the 10 year now uh, back above uh, 410. So uh, yep. significant moves today. Ed, thank you. Thank you. Got some breaking news on this Friday from the FTC a short time ago. Amgen will finally be able to move ahead with that $27.8 billion purchase of Horizon Therapeutics after reaching an agreement with the FTC. Agency sued to block the sale back in May, as you know, over concerns that Amgen would use anti-competitive business practices, leveraging key drugs from Horizon to prevent other drug companies from competing. Under the agreement, Amgen wouldn't be able to use certain tactics like bundling medicines together for sale. This was kind of in the cards when we got that pause the other day, Leslie. Yeah, but this is a really big news and a really green light for other companies considering M&A because one of, been, one of the biggest hindrances has really been just the regulatory environment. So if a deal of this size and scale, one that has kind of your bread and butter, bread and butter anti-competitive concerns surrounding it, if they were able to remedy that and move forward with the deal, that, for a lot of people who are kind of sitting on the sidelines wanting to do these bigger deals but concerned about the regulatory environment, could provide a little bit of a, you know, uh, an opposite case to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe I'll stop short of saying a green light, but it definitely does change that maybe sense out light. there. Maybe yeah. a yellow light. Or it just changes that sense that everything's going to be fought no matter what, if it's vertical, if it's horizontal. Uh, and, and so there's definitely a little bit of a loosening of, of well, that story. It may still be fought, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But if you really want to get the deal done, it's clear that uh, at least the courts have been increasingly signing with uh, deal making and then also finding these remedies to actually make make it so that the deal will go through. So I agree with you. Yellow light, maybe not green. Green light to start considering it, yes. perhaps a yellow yeah. light to actually you sign You can have a more rational kind of cost benefit of here's what we might have to go through right. to get this done. Well, we'll exactly. check, next week, we'll check in with David and Jim about whether we've reached peak Lena Khan or yeah. peak closing window on, on New Deal announcements. Yeah. It, it'd be an interesting discussion for the fall. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, when we come back, uh, a tale of three retailers. Lulu getting a lift. Walmart, record high, uh, but more pain for Dollar General. We'll talk about what's going on in retail. A lot of cross currents. Futures, meanwhile, uh, looking to start September off pretty well in the wake of the jobs number. More Squawk in the Street is straight ahead. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. 
That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. In every market, every region we're in, we're profitable. Um, and and uh, early innings of, of growth. To see every market we're in, uh, the business growing double digit uh, and, and, and consistently and having some of the lowest unaided brand awareness we have in the company. Uh, it's single digit in every market except for Australia and, and the UK where we've been in there the longest, but even there it's in the teens. Um, so we have a significant runway of growth in international business. And at 23%, I think we really are just getting started. That was Lululemon CEO Calvin McDonald on last night's earnings call. Shares of the yoga wear retailer rising in the pre-market after posting better than expected quarterly results and lifting guidance up about 3% right now. I mean, guys, you look through this, it is just broadly very strong. And this is a category that has tremendous competition. And we've seen, uh, you know, some kind of mixed results this quarter in terms of retail. But, uh, you know, geographically, really re-accelerating. The guidance was strong here. Uh, accessories, uh, the belt bag, which they've uh, been very prominent in, strong. China strong. Inventory uh, normalizing here. Um, and I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of dupes on Amazon. There's a yeah. lot of competition. It's a very crowded space that they operate in, and their price point is among the highest. So they've still managed to, you know, garner that consumer attention and consumer wallet in the face of competition and in the face of, uh, you know, in some places, a slowing consumer. Yeah, reinforces the bit of exceptionalism that Lulu has maintained, and I think the market gives it credit for. I, I don't think that's like kind of an unexplored story, but they are underpenetrated in huge parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So they still have lots of store growth capacity if they want to, you know, in terms of physical expansion. And, um, you know, they operate with mostly full price and the margins are great uh, and the customer's loyal. So I think all that stuff has been true for a long time, still true, long runway. I think it's why it trades at 30 times earnings. Um, In other words, not that that's crazy, but it's, it's certainly a generous premium to everything else, and I was noting last night too, even a slight premium to Nike now, because that was always the story with Nike. You know, they pay full price, people come back, they're they're increasing frequency of how much people own of their goods. Um, And so it's been interesting, 400 bucks has been a bit of a ceiling on this stock for a while, might challenge it here. T.D. Cowan points out uh, this morning, gross margins highest in the history of the company, Uh, international uh, up 52, China up 61, accelerated through the month of August. Uh, They view the guidance uh, as uh, fairly conservative. They go to 535 on Lulu. And we sort of uh, contrast it with what's happened with the dollar stores and Dollar General and Dollar Tree last couple of weeks. Loop today cuts DG after the second miss and guide lower uh, to hold 140. Uh, They said no longer a steady eddy. This is really a situation where management's in a penalty box. Mm. For sure. I mean, it it, it certainly points out, too, that Lulu isn't really that much of a macro tell. It's kind of a... You know, a slice of the market, uh, certain 
product areas. And then the dollar stores, um, so many disadvantages, I guess. They already kind of have this saturation point in terms of the physical network. And, uh, and obviously Walmart is just operating better for a lot of the stuff that they rely on without a little bit of a pricing tailwind. It's been really hard. Yeah, so how much of this then is the, is the fact that it really is a tell on the consumer versus just certain retailers yeah. taking share from others? Is it that, you know, Dollar General, Dollar Tree, they're all tells that the, you know, the lower end consumer may be suffering at these levels yes. where interest rates are, I think that's or is it that Walmart is just taking, I think it's, I think it's all of it. Away. In an environment where the pie isn't growing as quickly in terms of nominal total spend, I think that the advantages to scale become more clear and, uh, and, and you know, I'm sure dollar stores have more specific uh, issues they're dealing with. Everyone's blaming shrink on some level, but I don't think that's really the story. It's, that, that becomes a bigger issue when the overall growth is not really, you know, covering up for it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, not, not to shame them, but Edward Jones upped Dollar General uh, on the 23rd of, uh, of August to buy. Yeah. And part of their argument was that the core customer, uh, half the time, pays in cash. Yes. Which they argued right. insulated you from e-commerce because that's an option you don't have. A lot of the core customer can't afford a membership fee that would give you yeah. free shipping, uh, but that called it but on clearly other, didn't work and, out. And by the way, though, it also has been historically the case that when the economy slows down and becomes tougher, they actually are a net relative beneficiary to dollar stores. Which so is it hasn't really played out yet. Uh, a lot going on in retail last couple of weeks. When we come back, uh, the first White House reaction to this morning's jobs number. We'll talk to Lael Brainer, director of the president's National Economic Council, about the labor market, inflation, obviously, and a lot more. Futures have held in there as we uh, kick off the month of September and say goodbye to summer. Squawk on the streets back in a moment. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Dell's up sharply in the pre-market, set to open at a fresh 52-week high. Quarterly beat raises the full-year guidance as they see AI as a long-term tailwind. I think the line here, demand, Mike, improved faster uh, than anticipated. Yep. A, a lot of uh, uh, high fives going around, especially people who follow the stock. Without a doubt. Um, and this, you know, just the setup here is super cheap stock that hasn't been priced for growth in a long time, worried about the PC cycle. It's been kind of the slow and steady. You might have placed it in the sort of HP, HPE uh, type bucket. Now the, the leverage to part of the uh, AI trend for a stock that trades under 10 times earnings, that's I think what has uh, people a little bit excited in the near term. Also, uh, some of the sell side commentary pointing out that probably the PC cycle has seen its worst as well. So that's not necessarily going to be as much uh, of a drag here. Yeah, $2 billion of AI server backlog and an even larger pipeline. Morgan yeah. Stanley has this as a, a top pick even above Apple here, partly due to that valuation Absolutely, play that you yeah. mentioned, but also kind of this uh, stock that wasn't necessarily associated, didn't benefit from the recent run-up in AI, now all of a sudden getting put into that category, um, you know, because that's, that's 
and real we, money. And we can worry about later if this is just kind of a relatively short-term period of excessive demand for AI capabilities and it's going to just trail off down the road. You have the cushion here with the, the, the run rate of the business is still uh, reasonably strong and it's just cheap. Um, you know, it's a, a paler version of what did go on with Broadcom, I think up to last night's report, which is, again, slow and steady-ish type stock, pretty cheap, then catches a little bit of the AI uh, juice and, and, you know, has, has traded pretty well higher, although giving some back this morning. Yeah, uh, the Morgan Stanley call, the top pick uh, target there is 70, which I think is a street high, and they do call it our first Gen AI winner. There you so go. Congratulations. <laughs> the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange with the big board kicking off the 2023 college football season ahead of the AFLAC kickoff game featuring Louisville versus Georgia Tech, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens, and representatives from Georgia Tech, Louisville AFLAC, an NYSE-listed company, executives, meanwhile, the NASDAQ uh, financial services company XP bringing the exchange's first-ever bell ceremony in Latin America. So 45, uh, 34 here, Mike. Uh, yeah. How much, how much do the Bulls need to do to truly have asserted themselves? You know, they've done a decent job, right? You broke the downtrend that started uh, in that uh, late July peak, uh, certainly been above the 50-day average. We're only, you know, not that much more than a percent from the closing high. We did get above 4,600 uh, intraday uh, back in late July. Yeah, I think that the interesting part I mentioned before, we were at like, you know, 45.20 right here in mid-July. Uh, at that point, investor sentiment was getting very overexcited. You looked at the weekly retail AI uh, investor poll, and it was like 51% bulls and 20% bears. Everybody thought it was going to continue. Now you're at the same exact level on the S&P 500, mm. and you had more bears than bulls in the latest poll. That's not... That doesn't mean everything, but it does show you that the pullback did a lot of its job, which is to moderate sentiment, get valuations, maybe back, uh, you know, a little more tame. No, I wouldn't say getting them cheap, but as I said, earnings estimates have continued to go up. Credit markets didn't give you a reason to worry. Bank stocks even, Leslie, are basically flat from that period. So, yeah, yeah. they had a little scare. They're not outperforming uh, necessarily, but they're not giving you, like, that extra reason to be concerned. Hey, what's going on here? Yeah, remember the beginning of the month where all we were talking about were those credit downgrades, yeah. the risk of regulation. I mean, it was a very big news month for banks. Um, also interesting to note, broad-based rally today. All of the major S&P sectors are higher, led by energy, materials, and consumer discretionary. So I'm curious kind of what that tells you about the market sentiment surrounding just the overall kind of inflation sensitive pockets of the market. Obviously, energy was the one clear yeah. winner in the month of August. But, uh, you know, those are some some I think it tells you leaders. there's a certain well, energy has definitely started to just act better. It seems as if, you know, we've I don't know, been at these relatively acceptable levels in terms of crude. Cash flows seem good, seemed underowned going into this period, actually bucking the weakness in China to a fair degree. So I think that's been just one of these rotation beneficiaries. But as I mentioned, cyclical groups have did not really give a lot of ground up uh, toward safe haven defensive areas. And with uh, yields coming down, I do think you still have that rate sensitivity trade that could work uh, on a limited basis from here. You know, we talk about where the 10-year got to and, and other Treasury maturities. The Barclays aggregate, basically all bonds, 5% has been a threshold. Got above it in October, also got above it at the recent highs in yields. And that seemed to be 
uh, a stop and wait and can the market handle this, can the economy handle this sort of thing. So we backed off from there as well. So it's all, it's all uh, allowing uh, some, of the, uh, some of the pressure to lift, if nothing else. Yeah, there have been some second looks on the jobs number this morning. Uh, Ian Shepardson at uh, Pantheon says if you strip out the strikers yeah. and strip out yellow, you might have been closer to 240, which he would say is no rollover yet. Also, with revisions, you've got yeah. two months of gains if this headline yeah. number were to stick. Right. Yeah. So they, the Hawks can slice you it. Can, yeah, you can kind of rebase it however you like. But in theory, yellow and SAG should have been in the, in the consensus as well at some level. So, um, But I agree with you. I mean, it's not as if it's a job market that's falling apart. It's just sort of loosened up a bit. And didn't yellow um, employees get pretty significant severance packages as well? Yeah. So it's not like losing those jobs, at least in the immediate term, is going to have a direct role oh, in terms of The severance echo spending. has been a big part of the wage story. I think people focus on seven straight months of, uh, of downward revisions in the rearview mirror and say that's kind of what happens mm. when the job market is got maxed out. Right. Remember yeah. when we were upward revising for couldn't, what was couldn't it, catch 10, up. 12 yeah, straight exactly. months, yeah. which was a different, maybe a different labor environment. For sure. Um, Disney's interesting, Mike, just in light of what Charter is saying about the a la carte model in yeah. general. As uh, I, I guess, is ESPN dark as a result of this dispute? I guess so for uh, for Spectrum, for, you know, for, for Charter customers. Uh, it does now familiar type of dispute, maybe a little sharper than uh, in the past when you have uh, you know, somebody like Charter saying, why should we pay more in affiliate fees? Because overall viewership is down. But you also have the counter argument, which is, yep, overall linear viewership is down. But guess what? Sports is still the single best collection of concentrated attention we have in media right now for at any given moment in time. It's valuable for advertisers. What is going to be interesting, though, is however it settles out, whatever the pricing structure is going to eventually look like, if that has a read-through to what ESPN long-term is going to be able to charge, it's going to change the equation for what they think they need to get in an a la carte type over-the-top mm. app. Because that's always been the question. It's like, what do we need to have our core subscribers pay just for ESPN you know, in streaming or, or, or in an app to make up for what we're losing on everybody who has a cable package paying us uh, for ESPN linear. Basically so, like a true sum of the parts. Yeah, exactly. We it's like, where's our break-even level extract. in terms of do we have to charge 30 bucks a month? Do we have to charge, you know, less or more than that? And that might change, you know, your odds for success in getting that to scale. I yeah. Guess. I do think it's interesting as we kind of, I know we're going to talk about this more next hour, but uh, the whole Taylor Swift decision to <laughs> put her concert... Um, you know, in movie theaters. Historically, she's opted for Netflix and streamers, but this time it's giving the theaters a boost. Um, obviously, this whole idea of people getting together for live events has something to do with it. Um, and I just sat down with Sixth Street CEO Alan Waxman this week, who is a big player in investing in, in sports ch franchises. Um, and he is extremely bullish just on the advent of live events and all of the institutional money going into them, as well as the ultimate payoff as a result of things like streaming and, and creative ways to, um, you know, funnel that content into more consumers, such as what Taylor yeah, Swift is doing. that's uh, interesting. We already had uh, Jason Blum uh, change his own release date uh, in light of what Taylor's doing. And we'll talk about what Barry Diller told Kara Swisher yeah. about Netflix's unique role in and, the And by the strike. way, weakest stocks in the S&P to start, Warner Brothers Discovery, Paramount, yep. Fox, and Walt Disney. Yeah. So.
We'll get to that in a little bit. Meantime, let's get back to the jobs number. As you know, more jobs than expected in August, marking some resiliency for the labor market despite rising rates. Uh, payrolls up 187. However, unemployment at 38 is interesting. That's the highest since February of 22. Let's bring in Lael Brainerd, a National Economic Council director for the first reaction from the White House to the jobs number. Lael, it's great to have you. Thanks for the time. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. Uh, is is 38 uh, the most important number in this print? Absolutely not. I think what we see is a picture of a strong labor market. If you look at the number of people coming into the labor market, it's really encouraging. Uh, and so that number is just a reflection of uh, an, a great uh, jump in participation in the labor force. I think that reflects the good economy and the really terrific jobs that people now have access to. How, do you, how high do you think uh, participation can get, uh, given the curveballs that the pandemic threw at us? Well, you know, a lot of people said that we were not going to see uh, workers coming back, but they've come back in record numbers. I mean, you see that in the increase in employment in August. That is President Biden's good economy, good jobs. Uh, good wages. People are coming back and going to work, and the economy is much more resilient, much more balanced. Uh, we're seeing that balance in the labor market, and that's why inflation has come down. So it's a it's a good outlook overall. Lael, how are you thinking about uh, the role of unions in the current jobs environment? We were talking about the potential adjustments that could be made as a result of the yellow bankruptcy, which stemmed in part due to union negotiations, obviously the, the strikes that are also uh, currently ongoing in Hollywood and beyond. Uh, how do you think about that as um, a, a factor in the overall unemployment situation? So there's always special factors that are taken into account in the flows that you see month to month. So clearly those uh, items are special factors. But, you know, we're also celebrating uh, the successful collective bargaining agreement that was reached uh, it, between the ILWU and the uh, West Coast ports that was ratified with overwhelming support. So generally speaking, um, again, it's just a it's a healthy jobs market with uh, good jobs and uh, wages are uh, growing uh, faster than inflation. So people are feeling good about uh, their real incomes. Yeah, Lael, in fact, I wanted to, to get your thoughts on the wage growth. Of course, Wall Street logic had a lot of attention on the, uh, the pace of wage gains, 4.3% on a 12-month basis, slight moderation in growth from the prior month. What is your current thinking on wage growth, its role in driving overall uh, inflation for consumers? You mentioned we have positive real wage growth, but there's a lot of folks who say, you know, maybe we're going to have to do more to moderate wage growth if, in fact, the Fed needs to get uh, inflation down to its target. Yeah, you know, I just don't see that. People did say uh, that you weren't going to see inflation coming down absent a really big uh, increase in unemployment, and yet inflation in the latest report, the three month, is back down to pre-pandemic levels. Um, and it's really uh, closely tracked uh, that supply chains index. Meanwhile, the labor force uh, participation has uh, increased much more than people thought. You're seeing balance in the labor market and a continued strong economy under the policies that President Biden has put in place. 
Lil, as you look externally beyond the United States, uh, there have been some pretty clear issues with China. Um, some of your peers from the White House have been um, going over there recently. Uh, how concerned are you that some of the weakness that we are experiencing or that they're experiencing in China uh, could have a broader effect here in the U.S.? And is there anything that you're working to do to moderate that? Well, look, I think uh, Secretary Raimondo had good meetings, Secretary Yellen before that. Uh, it's good to see those channels of communication uh, opening back up. Secretary Blinken initiated those series of meetings. Uh, and that's important because we, uh, we really need to be in ongoing contact with our Chinese uh, counterparts. That said, China faces some really daunting economic challenges. And of course, that matters uh, for countries in the region. Uh, the U.S. Uh, is, uh, I think, quite resilient. Uh, and again, we've seen the really good increase in people coming into the labor force, the resilient job market here, um, the uh, greater uh, reductions in inflation here. So I think the U.S. itself is on a really strong economic course. Uh, better growth, lower inflation than any of its peers. But of course, uh, China does have some challenges and we're watching those. Leah, I hope I can get you on energy for a moment. We were talking about oil a moment ago, uh, close to 85 today on West Texas. We know what retail gasoline has done going into the winter blend. Um, is there a sense that if, if gasoline really were to start to pressure the consumer going in, into an election year, that the administration would look to make further moves on the SPR or anything else? Well, it's certainly the case that um, gas prices, especially on this Labor Day weekend, matter a lot for American households. We all know that uh, it matters in terms of how much money they have left at the end of the month. Um, and so we keep a very close eye on that. As you know, the president uh, took very strong actions when uh, prices at the pump spiked earlier. They've come down uh, very substantially. But we're going to keep our eyes on those gas prices uh, because they do matter so much for American families. Lil, I have to ask you about uh, the potential for a government shutdown because we are now in September. Uh, there's the potential for the government to essentially run out of money by the end of the month here. Um, there were headlines this morning about a fresh request from the White House to pass a short-term measure to avert a shutdown. How far apart are the two sides at this current juncture? Let me just say uh, there is absolutely no grounds uh, for uh, a shutdown. You know, the president engaged in good faith in both um, the Senate and the House passed on a bipartisan basis um, the Fiscal Responsibility Act. So, you know, it would be good to see. Uh, we are seeing it on the Senate side, the appropriation process working really well. Uh, that said, it's extremely important to keep the government funded as uh, the uh, Congress works through uh, their uh, appropriations process. Uh, so we will uh, continue to send that message. Lael Brainerd, National Economic Council Director. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Look forward to having you back. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, I think probably the nicest thing that's been said about the jobs number probably came out of Breen today. Nearly ideal for the Fed, a nearly ideal print for a Fed looking with for broader macro conditions that are consistent with a further slowing in inflation, but also have continued economic growth. Oh, wow. Basically, yeah. it says Goldilocks. No, that's yeah. exactly where you want it to be. Again, it, you wouldn't, I don't think, take a lot of issue with the details of, of this report, this snapshot of the market. It's much more about where it sits 
along the trend and whether the pendulum can swing too far. Right now, there's not a lot of specific evidence to tell you that's true. Uh, Lael Brennan there, of course, emphasizing positive uh, real wage growth. Weekly hours also ticked up within the report. That had been one of those concerns, people saying, oh, yeah, you know, hours been cut. That seems to have firmed up at least in this latest month. Yeah. Um, by the way, it's a truncated session for bonds. Yeah. Uh, J.P. Morgan this morning, the desk said, maybe look for a little more single-day rate volatility in light of the jobs number just because there's less time to trade. Uh, you do have the VIX <laughs> close to a 12-handle. We'll yeah. see if we get that. Hey, it's- we got three days of no trading, so <laughs> the S&P's not going to move until Tuesday. That's, that's true. Today, so. uh, meantime, uh, Steve Leisman's got some uh, comments, I believe, Mester about to address a central bank conference. Hey, Steve. Yeah, in Europe, uh, uh, Carl, thanks. Uh, Loretta Mester, Cleveland Fed president, one of the more hawkish members, says she sees some progress being made in labor markets in a release that came out in her speech that came out right after the job support. She says the unemployment rate remains low at 3.8 percent. Job growth has slowed. Job openings, she says, are down. But the job market is still strong and unemployment, the unemployment remains too low. Uh, she says progress continues to be made on inflation, but inflation uh, and inflation expectations are reasonably well anchored. Despite that progress, she says, in that old mantra from Fed officials, inflation remains too high. Uh, she says future policy decisions are going to try to manage the risk between over and under tightening. So she says we're kind of balanced there when it comes to risks. Rate hikes have led to a broader tightening of financial conditions. She notes that banks have tightened, credit uh, uh, spreads are higher, treasury yields are higher, and mortgage rates are higher as well. Rate hikes, she says, are helping to moderate consumer demand and the labor market. You know, guys, just to say, sounds like to me like one of those officials who's ready to, you know, wait a little bit, September, take a look at all the data coming out, make a decision in November, not immediately here. Great chat this morning about Fed officials who flipped, so to speak, uh, last couple of years. Kashkari and Daly are great examples. Would Mester be the most interesting flip right now? Yeah, she's already sort of interesting in that she's definitely moderated her views here. Not so certain she needs to hike, ready to kind of uh, say, saying that you have to manage between upside and downside risk. That's new, and that's a that's a less hawkish thing for her to say. If Because you remember, Carl, you've been living through this just like I have. All the risks were to the upside for inflation. Mester suggesting that's not true anymore. Steve Leisman, thanks. We'll talk in a little while. Uh, busy yeah. day uh, on a uh, summer Friday. Before ISM at the top of the hour, we do have some manufacturing data out a couple of moments ago. Back to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Yes, these are the PMIs from S&P. We'll get the PMIs from ISM shortly. S&P Global Manufacturing PMI final read replaces 47 with 47.9. That does represent officially the fourth number below 50 in a row. 47.9 is only just as strong as it was at 49 in July. And look at that chart of 10-year note yields. Zooming around 415 now. And the reason I talk about that is we're seeing some steepening of the curve, or I should say de-inverting of the yield curve. It has a whiff of stagflation considering the data. We see two-year note yields down. They're actually still down 25 basis points on the week. But the tens at closing at 424 have now moved within 10 basis points of their close on the week. They're up in yield on the session, and it's something to pay attention to. Don't touch that TV. Squawk on the street will return after a short break. They should certainly get out of the room uh, with their deepest, fiercest, and almost conclusive enemy, Netflix, and probably with Apple and Amazon because because they're in 
you know, Netflix, Netflix is in one business and, and they are the rulers of the business they're in. The other two, Apple and Amazon Prime, are completely different businesses that have no business model relative to production of movies and television. It's just mm -hmm. something they do to support their prime or something they do to support their walled system paper. in Apple. That's Barry Diller of IAC sounding off about Netflix on Kara Swisher's podcast, urging legacy studios to cut the streaming service out of negotiations with writers and actors. Diller says a strike lasting beyond September would be catastrophic, in his words, for the industry. I don't know if it's a coincidence, Mike, but if you chart Netflix and Disney year to date, they diverged about the time yeah. the writer strike began. I, I've been watching that. No, it's certainly not a coincidence. Um, I also don't, though, know that that means you can somehow dial back the clock and say that, I mean, they're all pretty much a similar business model by necessity uh, right now, which is streaming is, is where any growth is going to be. I mean, obviously, you're going to have different uh, self-interest uh, points, but I don't know. It, it seems like it's very difficult at this point to go it alone without Netflix, the biggest really single creator of content in the in the industry. Yeah, it's also worth saying, I mean, they put some big dollars behind some of this content production, and there have been countless stories of uh, people who've been able to create shows and movies and documentaries and things that they may not have had the chance to do if it was just linear television, that because of streaming, they've had the ability to tell kind of under-the-radar stories uh, just because there is so there's, much There's a nostalgia for this business model that was so perfect. People say, why did we break it? As if the companies did it by pure choice. I right. mean, they felt like they were forced either by the markets or by business necessity to Consumers to want to stream. Yeah, exactly. They do. Yeah. Meantime, Gallup had a poll asking respondents whether they had sympathy for the strikers or the studios. And uh, THR had this piece yesterday, 67% siding with the strikers. Oh, sure. oh absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the people that's who you have the relationship the studio, with. Yeah. I'm actually surprised it's that low. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> I would think it'd be higher. Uh, holding some opening gains here. Dow's up 180, 45-25 uh, on the S&P uh, as we wind up this week. Don't go anywhere. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.